for those who weren't here last week, uh, we were in the middle of a four-part series on Jonah. Um, and uh, so first, we I thought we'd just have a bit of a run back through uh, what, what happened last week in Chapter 1. Uh, look, first of all, let's just point out that Jonah is, is almost certainly a historical person because he gets a mention in the, in the second book of Kings in chapter 14. He was a, a prophet of the Lord in the time of uh, Jeroboam II, so that puts him in the 700s BC. Uh, uh, so, so he just gets a brief mention there. Uh, so we, we, we assume then that this book is not a parable, as some people have thought, uh, that it is actually stuff that really happened and, and uh, to add to that of course the Lord Jesus spoke of Jonah as a as a real person um, but to, su- to summarize chapter one well Jonah is uh, called by God to go to that great city Nineveh and preach against it Nineveh which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire uh, which was the biggest most dominant the empire of the time in uh, in the whole world, and Nineveh was the biggest city in the whole world. And uh, uh, and as John said last week, it would be kind of like if you put yourself in 1939 in London and being told to go and preach in Berlin against Hitler. It that that was the sort of thing that that uh, Jonah was being asked to do. And so Jonah decided, well, no, that's not really what I want to do, and so he ran away. Um, and he took a ship in Joppa and sailed the opposite direction to Nineveh, to Tarshish, which is in Spain. Uh, and Nineveh's back the other way. And uh, and then, of course, uh, God sent a big storm on the sea. Um, and I think this is one of the really interesting bits of uh, of the book of Jonah is the, is the sailors, who seem to be um, reasonable sort of stout fellows. They uh, They didn't just chuck Jonah over willy-nilly they they wanted to know who, who he was and where he was from and the and the really interesting thing I think is that they were crying out to their false gods for help and when Jonah told them that uh, well I'm actually a Hebrew and I worship the God of heaven and the God who made the earth and the land and everything and they were terrified uh, you know they must have it seemed like they must have known that there was a God who made everything. I mean, I, th- I think every- I don't believe in atheists. Atheists don't exist. Everybody knows there is a God because it's obvious. And then the, and the Apostle Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 1. And so these, these people must have known also that there was a God who made the heavens and the earth, and yet they chose to worship false gods. But when, and when they heard that Jonah worshipped the real God, well, they were terrified and and. But, you know, they tried to do the right thing and not throw him overboard. But in the end, they, that's what they did. They, they, they chucked him in. But, in. but in his messy sort of weak way, Jonah evangelised these men. He told them about the God who made heaven and earth. And they believed. And they were converted. And they, they offered sacrifices and vows to, to, to Yahweh. They were afraid of him. Perhaps they just, they just didn't know how they could worship the God who made heaven and earth. So Jonah gets chucked overboard. And, uh, and so from, in today's reading we read that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. I love that verse. The Lord appointed a great fish. 
What was Jonah thinking at this point? I wish I'd gone to Nineveh. Um, I, don't, I doubt it. I think he, he maybe thought, well, fish or no fish, I'd still better than Nineveh. But no, probably not. Um, I think being eaten by a fish, even if you're uh, you know, inside it uh, and still intact, it's not something that you're going to expect to get out of alive. You, you wouldn't expect to survive it, would you? And so Jonah does what, what all people who, who follow the Lord and who've run away from him, he, he turns again. He turns again to the one that he's running away from, the God who made heaven and earth. And you see there in, uh, in chapter 2, in verse 2, he said, I called out to Yahweh out of my distress. It's very like uh, Psalm 130 that I preached on not long ago. Uh, out of the depths I cry to you. That's where our, our most serious prayers come from, isn't it? Out of the depths, out of distress. Mind you, the sailors were crying out to their gods out of their distress too. But here's the difference there in verse 2. He answered me. Yahweh answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. The sailors were crying out to their gods that didn't even exist. You know, Jeremiah, chapter in, uh, in chapter 10 of Jeremiah, he talks about these false gods. And it, it's actually kind of reflecting the the stuff that's also in Isaiah. And, and I was actually um, asked by a friend of a friend recently uh, uh, about false gods because this guy who was a farmer um, was worried that he, he'd had a lot of um, sort of misfortune, I guess you'd say, of things going wrong. And he was worried that, uh, that whoever had owned the place before him had, had worshipped false gods and maybe that was affecting his farm and uh, through a friend of a friend I, I sent this message to him and I said have a look at Jeremiah chapter 10 because Jeremiah talks about these false gods and this is what he says like a scarecrow in a melon patch their idols cannot speak they must be carried because they cannot walk do not fear them they can do no harm nor can they do any good Jesus told us whom we should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed the body, has the power to cast into hell. Verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Jonah here is, um, is reflecting on on some of the psalms and the one that comes to mind that seems a bit similar is Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is such an interesting psalm because it, 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 that along with Psalm 39 is the only two psalms that I know of where there is no, well, yes, but the Lord, you know, even though things are bad for me, the Lord will do this or I cried out to the Lord. Psalm 88 isn't like that. It's just all doom and gloom. And yet, I've found at times when things are going badly for me that I really like reading Psalm 88. I know why God put it in his book of Psalms. It's actually good for you and I, I thoroughly recommend it. And in verse 6 of Psalm 88, 
that the psalmist says, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have over, overwhelmed me with all your waves. I think that that is the one that, that Jonah is reflecting on here, on, on, on Psalm 8. In this passage, there, there are lots of cross-references to various psalms. You cast me into the deep. We feel actually that it was the sailors who threw him into the deep, who threw Jonah into the sea. But no, this is actually all Yahweh's doing. There, there are those Christians uh, and well-meaning people, I think, uh, who say that God will never bring bad things on his people. You know, he does, that God won't bring sickness or injury or hunger or being thrown overboard. Uh, and in a sense, they're right to say that God does not do evil things. Of course he doesn't. Everything God does is by very nature good. But the things he does can seem bad, even, even very bad, to us. Uh, and the ultimate example of that, of course, is the, is the cross. You know, if you took a survey of the, of the 11 disciples who were left the night after Jesus was crucified, how many of them would have said it was a good thing? None. We simply do not have all the information like God does. Many years ago, a, a bloke in a church said to me that told me that God doesn't make people sick. He doesn't do. He doesn't cause anything bad to anyone. He only does good good things. And uh, at the time, I thought, oh well, I don't know about that. But I found in Isaiah 45 a, a verse that said pretty much the opposite. And so since then, I've. I decided I'd write down every verse I came across that said something similar about what Yahweh does. And, but I gave up in the end because there's just so many of them. There's just everywhere. This one from Isaiah 45 was the first one I found, though. It said, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I bring prosperity, and I create disaster. I, Yahweh, do all these things. And Lamentation 3 is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? And Psalm 119, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. And 1 Samuel, the Lord brings death, and he makes alive. He brings down to the grave, and he raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Look, there are some extremist fundamentalist Christians out there who say that God is in complete control of everything, uh, both things good and, and things bad, things that seem bad to us, like sickness and accidents and poverty. Well, I'm one of those extremist fundamentalists, and you should be too, because that is what the Bible teaches. It clearly teaches it. The point is that Yahweh was in complete control of Jonah, both for his glory and for Jonah's good. Yes, for Jonah's good, although that must have seemed a hard thing for Jonah to swallow as he was being swallowed by the fish. But we see that as we read through this book, this book of Jonah. 
God is working out his purposes and calling back his unfaithful prophet to himself. And so at some point while Jonah is spending three nights in a fish's belly, he starts to have a glimmer of hope. After all, he is still alive, miraculously still alive. And he realises this is not the end. And he says, I shall look again on your holy temple. And in verse 6, you brought up my life from the pit. Yes, God's sovereignty even extends to the grave, to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, he says in verse 6. The place of the dead. Even there, God can... God is in control. You do not come back from there, usually. And yet, by God's command, those bars are forced open and Jonah lives. And then he spoke to the fish. Those of us who do a bit of fishing find ourselves speaking to fish. Bite you sods, that sort of thing. <laughs> I haven't ever noticed that it, they take much notice. But I am not God. Uh, but the Lord speaks and things happen. God says, fish, come here. And it comes. Fish, deposit that man onto the beach. And it does. And so Jonah is unceremoniously vomited onto a beach somewhere. Well, what else can we say about this? The Lord Jesus compared himself to Jonah. And in that sense, we shouldn't be spend our time wondering how it is that a fish can swallow a man and that he can stay alive for three nights. That's not the point. Because Jesus said, in response to people who were asking him for a sign, that they would get no sign except the sign of Jonah. So it was a sign. It was a miracle. That is how it happened. That is how Jonah survived three nights in a fish, by the work of God. I mean, there were similarities between Jesus and Jonah. They were both prophets. They were both given up as dead. They were. The Lord Jesus was dead, and yet they were both alive again. But of course there are some startling differences between Jonah and Jesus. Jonah ran away from God because of what might happen to him. And I can sympathise with Jonah. But Jesus set out for Jerusalem knowing exactly what would happen to him. There's a, a passage in Mark chapter 10 where the Lord Jesus has decided that he's going up to Jerusalem where he knows what will happen to him. And uh, his disciples and a crowd are following him. And uh, the, the passage says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. I think it just sets the scene. The disciples were astonished because they couldn't believe that this man was going to do this. 
and the others were afraid because they knew what was going to happen. There's a, a progression in, uh, in the first chapter of this book of Jonah of downward, of going down. In fact, the, the text uses the word down quite a lot. It says that Jonah went down to Joppa and he went down to a ship and he went down into the hold to fall asleep and then he was turfed overboard and he sank down into the depths. So that's the low point of running away from God. He's in the depths. He thinks this is it. That's the end. And in that sense, the fish represents salvation because God appoints a fish and it swallows him and saves him. God answers when his people cry to him in distress. Even when, like Jonah, we have rejected him and run away and ignored him. We've sinned, all of us have, have gone through this. We've sinned grievously against him. We've failed to do what he's told us to do. But our faithful God answers in the most extreme circumstances, even being tossed overboard in the middle of a storm. And as Jonah found out, and he would have known anyway, but he found out, and we all know, you cannot run away from God. Psalm 139 is another psalm that comes to mind in that regard. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. You cannot run away from God. He, he has rescued us from the belly of Sheol too, just like Jonah. We shouldn't think of Jonah as being somehow completely different to us. Sure, he had a very different experience to us, but in the, in, the, in, in the same way, though, we have run away from God. We have let him down, but he has come to us and rescued us. He's taken us from the place of the dead to life. You know, the, another scripture that comes to mind with this whole book of Jonah as we go through it is, is Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. It must have been difficult for Jonah to see that at times, as it is difficult for us to see it when things are going badly. But nonetheless, as things unfold, we see that it is true. We can, with the Apostle Peter, say, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.
and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade, that is kept in heaven for us who are being shielded through faith by his power until the time of the salvation that is coming. That is just so good. I hope you find it so. Amen.